Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the game between the Browns and Texans with John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio and Sports Radio 610 in Houston. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. And be sure to download Ian's podcast. It is outstanding. Rap Sheet and friends right here on TuneIn. Ian, we have to talk about the troubling story that's been dominating the headlines across the NFL after being cut by the Chiefs. What does Kareem Hunt's football future look like? Out a lot about his immediate future Monday at 4 p.m. That's when we find out whether or not he clears waivers, uh, given his legal situation and situation disciplinary wise in the NFL. The expectation is he does clear waivers and and is a free agent, but that's obviously the least of it. So I know we know that he is facing a six game suspension for a personal conduct policy violation. I'm also told uh, that he is facing additional penalties and additional suspension more than six games for a separate incident that involved him uh, punching a man in the face at an Ohio resort. So he is likely to be suspended more than six games, and uh, that probably takes him into next season. And, of course, we will see if anyone ends up signing him. Um, but obviously, you know, a, a lot has to happen for Kareem Hunt to end up on the field again. Yeah, on the field, uh, Andy Reid's just an outstanding coach. This football team has really hit a, a, a mark here uh, in the season as far as offensive is concerned. How is this going to affect this football team? Well, you know, I, I would expect, Andy Reid is very matter-of-fact, so I would expect him to treat it like a lot of the really good coaches treat it and basically just treat it as if it, it's an injury. Uh, obviously, it's way more serious than an injury, but I'm just saying – you know, you have a good player who's been in the lineup. You can count on him, and all of a sudden he's not. You get the next guy ready, and you get Spencer Ware, who, you know, actually is a, a really talented back and at one point, you know, was thought to be the running back of the future for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, you know, I, I say he gets a lot of carries now. You get a guy like Damian Williams, and per, perhaps they look to someone else's practice squad or maybe the free agency C.J. Anderson is out there. And you see if they'll sign someone else. Uh, the Chiefs are really good. Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere, so I expect them to be successful. But obviously, you know, they, they on the football field, they lose one of their best players. He's Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber taking you around the league with our NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. And let's head on to Cincinnati where the Bengals now are 5-7. and seven. They won't have Andy Dalton for the rest of the year uh, with a thumb injury. So it's Jeff Driscoll under center. How much job security does Marvin Lewis have moving forward? You had an intriguing report today on NFL Network. Yeah, he he does not have as much job security as we originally thought. And so let me explain. Last year, the news was they announced he received a two-year contract. And so the thought was he was going to coach this year and next year because unlike most teams, the Bengals do not like to pay a coach to actually not coach. So if he was under contract for 2019, he probably wasn't going anywhere. I was told this week that Marvin Lewis actually has a got a one year extension only through this season with an option for the, with a team option, so they can decide whether or not to pick up his contract. Gives him far less security than we originally believed, and certainly raises the specter of um, Marvin Lewis not being the Bengals' coach for next season. 
Yeah, they Denver Broncos put it on them today. And once again, we sit here, we watch this Denver Broncos football team, and time after time, we talk so much about Philip Lindsay. How did so many teams miss on this talented uh, young running back out of Colorado? <laughs> it's amazing, right? And, you know, I mean, you watch that first touchdown he had. It was beautiful. I mean, he cuts <laughs> on a dime. He changes direction. And he's at full speed within two steps. I mean, it was beautiful. His story is crazy. So he signed for, I believe, $6,000. Not $60,000, but $6,000 as a signing bonus. Uh, I know he had several teams interested. The Baltimore Ravens, who, of course, could use a running back. They were one. He's a local kid. Uh, And even though they drafted two running backs, he decided to sign with Denver as an undrafted free agent because uh, he didn't think they had anyone like him, and then he comes in, he makes the team. I also know that he told a couple of the teams, Baltimore, I believe, that if they don't sign him, if they don't draft him, they'd be making the biggest mistake they'll ever make. (laughs) Of course, no one drafted him, and he's still making sure that everyone knows that they've all made a horrible mistake. Denver now 6-6. and They've won three straight, and they're still in the wild card hunt. Ian Rappaport is our NFL insider. Check him out on NFL Network and, of course, on NFL.com. Ian, the surprise amongst the nine early games, Arizona goes to Lambeau Field and they win. Green Bay, 4-7-1, will not be going to the playoffs. Is it a foregone conclusion there's going to be a coaching change in the offseason? I wouldn't say there's a foregone conclusion, you know, especially when Aaron Rodgers is still out on the field, but certainly it is looking more and more likely. Um, and, you know, sometimes change is good. Sometimes change is helpful. Uh, Aaron Rodgers does not look like himself. I mean, we can all talk about Mike McCarthy. And, and again, like Rodgers signed a massive contract extension. He's not going anywhere. So something probably has to change. Um, but Rodgers isn't playing great either. I mean, you know, he looks indecisive. Some of those throws he made on the last drive were just, you know, they were just not him. Um you know, so I, I would say change could be coming to Green Bay, and it's going to be fascinating to watch which direction they go. Yeah, it just seems like roster-wise, uh, offensively, it, it's, you know, 50 attempts uh, today. The running game's not there. They've had so much time to build this roster around Aaron Rodgers, and they do have some talent. But, I mean, what's the ultimate goal? what was the ultimate goal for this football team when you look at this roster and really no uh, emphasis on being able to take all the pressure off of Aaron with, with a good running game? Yeah, I would say uh, this is a transition year just specifically roster-wise. And you bring up a great point, but, you know, look, they, they have Randall Cobb still. He's barely played this year. He's a shell of himself, and he's barely played. Um, and, you know, then you have they drafted three rookies, and a lot of them are out there playing. And, you know, you can hit on all the rookies, and it still takes a while to kind of get into the league and figure out what's going on and learn the offense and all that. They signed Jimmy Graham for a lot of money. He's been underwhelming, and that's your whole receiving core. That's it. That's everybody. So, you know, Rodgers hasn't been great, but it's clearly a year in transition. The hope is that Rodgers is good enough where himself he can kind of make it all work, but he hasn't been good enough. Uh, And that's how you end up with a year, which is, you know, probably going to end up to be a lost year. And as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Enjoy it. Talk to you guys next week. This is NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's focus on the matchup between Cleveland and Houston with John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610 in Houston.
Now let's spotlight the Red Hot Texans. They beat the Browns 29-13. Houston has won nine consecutive games. Always a pleasure to talk Texans football with John Harris, sideline analyst for Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. John, we appreciate you taking the time. If you're handing out game balls today, are you giving yours to the entire defense because they were opportunistic creating turnovers? Yeah, absolutely. I I would have to give one to the entire defense. Uh, I'll tell you what, Zach Cunningham's pick six, though, was really kind of the one that, that broke it open. It was a 10 nothing game. And you think with the troubles that we've had at times this year, not scoring down inside the five-yard line, you know, Zach got that one in to make it 17 to nothing. I think everybody kind of, you know, a little sigh of relief at that point, but very opportunistic. We knew that Baker had to get the ball out of his hands fast and the pass rush was coming. And you could tell it impacted him in the first half for sure. And you know, in the second half, he got some yards and really showed why he was number one overall pick. But at that point, the damage was done. And this, this defense just flew around today. And I know that there will be a lot of people that push for, for Darius Leonard, for the Colts as defensive rookie of the year, Derwin James for the Chargers. But I'm absolutely throwing my hat in the ring for Justin Reed, the safety out of Stanford, who has been nothing short of sensational for us this year playing at safety. And he, along with Tyron Matthew, has really changed what it is that we can do in the back end. So I would have to get one to the entire defense today. Uh, they were fantastic. The four turnovers were just massive. Well, you hit it right on the point. With all those great pass rushers that we all know, J.J. Wodge, Valen Clowney, uh, again, the back end playing so well, what has these two, you know, you have Justin Reed, who's a rookie, and Tyron Matthew, who's the veteran, he seems to kind of bring a great presence uh, to that football team. Talk to us a little bit more about how they're able to kind of get it done, being from different kind of worlds. Well, you know, it's interesting because they did come from different worlds. But the nice thing about Justin is that he knew Tyron coming here. That Eric and Tyron, uh, Justin's older brother Eric, who's down with the Panthers, played with Tyron at LSU. So Tyron knew Justin, and I think that helped. They had some camaraderie there. And then Tyron's come in and really kind of put a stamp on this team, Eric, as a leader. And it's not as if the Texans didn't have leaders, but a lot of the guys do it very quietly. You know, DeAndre goes about his business. You know, Deshaun goes about his business. You know, they're not boisterous guys to step up and say, hey, follow me. Well, 5'9", 180 walks in the huddle, number 32, Tyron Matthew, and everybody is listening to what he has to say. And he plays with that, that fever, that fervor, and I think that's really helped because the guys up front know, hey, if we just get near the quarterback, we got an opportunity to get sacks because they're covering people or we can force bad balls and we can end up with interceptions. And today, the rush and the coverage worked very well together. And, Eric, you know that. When you have that rush in front of you and you know you can take some risks, calculated risks, but you can take those risks, sometimes you end up getting one like Jonathan Joseph got as well today. He kind of took a risk jumping a route, but he knew because the pass rush was getting there that he knew he could do that. And that's the way that defense is really starting to come together, which is not unusual with Rack, with Romeo Cornell as a defensive coordinator. Every single year that he's a defensive coordinator, the second half of the year, we really see them coming together, and I think we're doing that right about that. Chatting with John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio, Sports Radio 610 in Houston. John, when we think about the big threes across the league, quarterback, running back, playmaking, wide receiver, where would you position what's going on on your team with Deshaun Watson, Lamar Miller, and DeAndre Hopkins? Well, I tell you what, with the way Lamar Miller's running the football, I'd put it up against anybody right now. 
You know, the offensive line has been moving some guys up front, but Lamar Miller has been the key because his vision in the zone game has been unbelievable. Um, he, the way that he can find the cut-up runs, the way that he can stay with it and just bang it off the outside, he's a really good zone runner. He's not Arian Foster, the best I've ever seen, but he's very good in the zone game. But what's helping Lamar is that Alfred Blue can come in and spot him and spell him and keep Lamar fresh so that in the fourth quarter, Lamar's still got some juice left. So, look, DeAndre Hopkins, I think, is the best receiver in the league. And T.J. Carey today just decided he was going to go WWE wrestling match with him. And you're just not going to win that with Hopkins. You're just not going to do that. You know, Hopkins going to get his. But the other guys are stepping up. Tight ends today had a big day. Jordan Thomas got back in the end zone. D.T. is really starting to fit himself into the offense. Demarius Thomas. So it's all coming together. But really it's the run game that I think has triggered everything because that's giving Deshaun some time to throw. It's slowing down those defensive linemen a little bit. But I'll put our trio up against anybody right now with the way those three are playing. John, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Absolutely, guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. Next on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, let's break down the game between the Colts and Jaguars with Mike Chappell from Fox 59 Television in Indianapolis. Alongside Eric Allen, I'm Brian Weber. This is First and Goal on the NFL on TuneIn. Colts were going after their sixth consecutive win, but lost to Jacksonville 6 nothing. Let's recap it with Mike Chappell. He's covered the Colts for many years, now working for Fox 59 TV in Indy. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Colts were playing outstanding football heading into this matchup. What changed today? Uh, Jacksonville's defense, which has always been good, sort of stepped up and, and sort of took advantage of longer the Colts let them hang around, I guess, early on. They had two or three chances early to score, and they, and they didn't. And you let a team that's sort of trying to find its way on offense, let them stay close, and, and then it just sort of mushroom. So missed opportunities, but some of that's uh, – Let's credit Jacksonville for that because they play pretty well on defense. Uh, yeah, most of the time when your team is hot and they lose, uh, the next couple of weeks, everyone talks about blueprint. Is there a blueprint out there that, that gives the Colts problems? Well, if you, if you, if you can pressure the quarterback, <laughs> which during the five-game during the five game winning streak, they really, teams hadn't done that, even Jacksonville back in Indy. And then Indy didn't run the ball well at all today. What was it? Uh, 41 yards on 16 carries isn't going to do it. If you can force like a throw 50 times a game, you're, you're going to have a, a good success. But they just never got in sync. And games like this sort of sort of feature one of the main problems with the Colts offense, and that's they've only got one main receiver, and that's T.Y. Hilton. They need a second option so badly because Jacksonville's corners just dominated the game. Their, their secondary dominated the game, so when you can pressure the quarterback and you don't let them get into a rhythm, and then you have Frank Reich, you know, rightly or wrongly, going for it three times on fourth and one and getting nothing out of any of them, it's a remedy for a bad day. Spotlighting the Colts with Mike Chappell from Fox 59 TV in Indy. Mike, you referenced the new head coach of the Colts tangibly. How has the offense evolved since Frank Reich got the job? Very well. It's for the first time in career, they, they sort of taken protection uh, as priority one. In years past, it was always deep drops and hold the ball behind a line that wasn't very good, and now they've got a good line, and there's a lot more shorter drops. They'll still take their shots downfield, but this is a more of a intermediate passing game. Today was too many 
dump off because Jacksonville blanketed receivers, but it's an offense that's keeping their quarterback relatively healthy, relatively up. And that's not what we've seen in the past. So as long as they can do that and protect the quarterback better, you three sacks today, six hits on him, which is too many. But uh, it shows that this is heading in the right direction if in the offseason they can add another receiver. And then not having Jack Doyle today at tight end hurt. But, again, this is all about protect the quarterback. you got a chance. Pressure the quarterback. It just makes it tough to get into a rhythm, which was what we saw today. Uh, how is Coach Frank's um, football gambling <laughs> mentality going yeah. over on uh, over on the football community? It, it, it depends on whether he's successful or not. <laughs> so I'm sure he'll be raked over the coals uh, tonight and tomorrow and the next few days. And I, I, I was okay with not it's fourth and goal at the one early or early in the second quarter. I was okay going for it. Because if you don't get a Jacksonville starting at the one and, and they forced spot and you got the ball back, but of course, then as the game goes on, you know, you'd like to have had those points. But I think by and large, people are in favor of it. But again, when you go for three on fourth down and you could have had at least two field goals, maybe three field goals in a six to nothing game, people are going to second guess. He'll stand by his guns. And I think over the long haul, this will work out and players like it. Boy, you better be right when you gamble. You're going to catch heck for it. Mike, let's wrap it up with a thought on individual awards. Since Drew Brees was mortal and took a step back on Thursday when Dallas beat New Orleans, where would you put Andrew Luck in the MVP conversation? Oh, down the list, fifth or sixth. I think he's had a very, very strong year, and he, he's he's the reason this team's won six games, without question. I, I hope he gets serious push for comeback player of the year. You know, missing all of last year with and, and really not knowing if he was that play again, that the injury was that severe. So I, I would MVP, no, comeback player of the year. Uh, he or J.J. Watt, to me, are the two. And I give luck to nod, first of all, because I've seen him play and what he's been through. But second of all, 30-some touchdowns, and he's got a team 6-6 six and six relevant in, in December. I think he's very much earned a Comeback Player of the Year award. Mike, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you. We continue on NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Lions and the Rams with Joe Curley from the Ventura County Star in Southern California. Let's say hello to Joe Curley. He covers the Rams for the Ventura County Star in Southern California. Joe, we appreciate you taking the time. What stood out to you in the victory? This was a surprisingly low-scoring game for much of the early action, and the Rams were able to find their rhythm. Yeah, I think it was a great sign uh, for the Rams going forward because the defense, um, for the first time in a couple months, uh, was really able to kind of dictate the tempo and, and control the game and um, you know, certainly the Lions are missing a bunch of pieces, but uh, you know, it was a, it was a good performance with um, with keep the lead back in the uh, in the lineup and got him out there for a little bit and uh, and you know, it was just an improved performance. And then uh, you know, obviously the offense was able to close a, a close game down the stretch. Rams uh, clinched the back to back division titles for the the first time in in an eon. So that's in '79. So uh, you know, that all in all, a uh, a really good day for uh, for the Rams. They they maintain that uh, half game lead over the Saints for uh, 
for home field, which you know we know is, is going to be so important, or you know, in this uh, postseason. Joe, help me out. Let everybody know why Aaron Donald should be the right. not just the defensive MVP, but the MVP of the entire league. Yeah, you know, I do think he he's got a great um uh a great uh argument for it. I actually uh thought Todd Gurley should have uh you know, should have been in that uh, discussion last year, but uh you know, it, it, when you look around the league this year, especially um, you know, maybe before this weekend, you know, I think there's a lot of great quarterbacks. You know, it's it's kind of a high watermark for scoring, it's a high watermark for offense, it's a high watermark um you know, for quarterback play, I mean, I think you got, uh, you know, one of the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, in the middle of the pack here in a really deep quarterback crew. And so I think that, you know, if you look at it, everyone's got a good quarterback, I think. There's only one Aaron Donald. And I think if the Rams get home field throughout the playoffs, I'm big in giving the MVP to the team, um, you know, the team that is a number one seed, the team that is the best team in football. The MVP to me should be, you know, which player made uh, the best team the best team. And, you know, in a, in a world where everybody's got an offense and defense is now about turning the other team over, sacks, strip sacks, um, you know, game-changing defensive plays like we saw in the Super Bowl last year, um, you know, I think uh, Aaron Donald has a great argument for it. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think I tweeted out last week that I, um, if the Rams are uh, the number one seed, you know, I think it really comes down to the girl or Donald. Um, you know, the problem there is they may split it, but uh, you know, th- there's only one Aaron Donald in terms of pressure, in terms of sack. You have an interior defensive lineman who's got a really good chance to break the sack record, and you know, that's just ridiculous. We're spotlighting the Rams with Joe Curley. He covers the club for the Ventura County Star in Southern California. Joe, you alluded to the return of Aqib Tlaib coming back from the ankle surgery. We multitask on this show. We're following everything going on across the NFL. How did Tlaib look as you covered the game, and what could he mean to this defense down the stretch? Yeah, I, mean, I think it was it was just good that he was out there. Um, you know, I don't know if he's he's all the way back yet. They, they held him out they, on a so-called snap count. Um, you know, there was a time where I think there was a question of whether or not he had re-hurt himself because they had, they had pulled him out. But I guess, I guess it's all clear, and, and they were just kind of easing him back into it when you've got um, – you know, an ankle, uh, you know, a serious ankle injury that you're trying to kind of ramp back up. You know, they don't need him at 100% today. They need him at 100% in January. So, you know, just the fact that he was healthy enough to be out there, um, that he's ramping his fitness back up. And then, you know, it, it kind of energized the defense. He had Troy Hill had his second uh, career interception. I think, uh, you know, the secondary played really well against uh, a, a guy I think is a budding star in Kenny Galladay, limiting him to only five catches. You know, certainly no Marvin Jones and, and uh, uh, Golden Tate, uh, you know, getting traded. You know, they're not the same offense that they've been. Uh, but um, you know, I think they did. You know, holding that team to 16 points in the NFL in this day and age is, uh, you know, is always a win. Last one for me is uh, fan support. Uh, you guys have been, you know, one of the best Monday night games in all of football. Uh, a couple weeks ago, the team is rolling right now. How has the fan support uh, at the uh, Coliseum been holding up? Yeah, I mean, I think that was um, you know an all kind an all time occasion. You know, considering what happened, um, you know, north of L.A., um, you know, it was a, a really memorable event. And the Rams were kind of impeccable in their you know ability to um, 
you know, put that event together in a really short time. Um, and I think, you know, the, the winning obviously endears you in Los Angeles. I think that event can endear them maybe to the, either the non-football or the, the kind of neutral football fan locally. And, I, you know, I think you, you know, you saw it in the playoff game last year that they, you know, the, the, they sold the place out, um, you know, against a fan base that, that really isn't in L.A. And then, you know, on a short, you know, to put that game together on a short notice and fill the stadium, um, you know, considering, uh, you know, the, the game was supposed to be in Mexico just six days prior, uh, you know, was, was really impressive. And, and, you know, I think the, the next big test, uh, for that home home team is obviously the Eagles coming in. You know, there's a lot of Philly fans there when when the Eagles came in and won. Um, so when that happens in a couple weeks, uh, you know, we'll get our next uh, barometer of where uh, the fan base is. But you know, certainly the fact that you know they're currently uh, you know the number one seed in the NFC, they're um, you know playing an entertaining and, and winning brand of football. Um, you know, they're they're certainly building. Um, at a really rapid pace. And, you know, I was just out and about in the community uh, all week, you know, going, you know, doing my shopping and Christmas shopping. And, you know, there's all kinds of Ram stuff, certainly a heck of a lot more than last year and, and, a, and a lot more than the year before. So it's, it's coming together. Joe, we appreciate the analysis. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Now let's bring in our great friend Eric Adelson from Yahoo Sports. Eric, we appreciate your patience. Got to start with the breaking news. After the Cardinals beat the Packers, a lot of question marks about Mike McCarthy's future in Green Bay. How surprised are you that the Packers decided to part ways with the head coach today? Hey, Brian and Eric, it's good to be on. Uh, I am not that surprised. Uh, I mean, when you have arguably the best quarterback alive and your team is unwatchable, uh, that's a bad sign. Uh, and, and losing to the Cardinals at home at Lambeau, I thought that was illegal. Uh, th- there's a lot of problems there, and it's obvious what the problems are. There's no patience for it in a place like Green Bay. Uh, and so, you know, why not just move on now? There's, there's no need to play out the string when, uh, when the team is this bad, and today proved it. Yeah. Time is ticking, though. How fast can they turn this around in order to still capture, you know, Aaron Rodgers' greatness? Well, it has to be, it has to be immediately. Uh, I mean, he, he's, he's been hurt. You know, I, I don't know. Not much has been said about how, how much he's recovered since the first week of the season. He was hurt last year. First week of the season looked like a really bad injury. Came back miraculously in that game. But still, I mean, you see – any mobile quarterback, obviously, is going to be extra vulnerable, but especially at his age, uh, and especially how he extends the plays in the last possible second, that's his genius. Uh, but basically, the, the, at, at, his, at his age, the, the, the clock is ticking, I think, faster than almost any other player. So they got to move. And I think, I, I'm not sure if this weighed into it, the conversation, but McCarthy was obviously involved in scouting uh, and, and in looking at the draft. And you know, there's going to be a lot of bowl games coming up. A lot of a, a lot of eyes are going to be on these players. They need to draft brilliantly right away if they're going to restock. Because especially on defense, uh, the cover is pretty bare. Taking you around the league with Eric Adelson of Yahoo Sports. Eric, as we focus on the early games, Baltimore with a victory in Atlanta. Ravens now have won three straight. Lamar Jackson, 3-0 and as a starter. Do you think Joe Flacco's ever going to see the field again in a meaningful situation for the Ravens? Boy, that's a good point. I mean, Jackson hasn't been great. His stats haven't been great, but they do give they do give the Ravens such a different look. It's it's so interesting because 
you know, it was Jim Harbaugh who moved from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick just, just, just to give a different look, and it and it stuck. Uh, and now you have a very similar kind of transition going on with John Harbaugh, um, and and he's young, and the team seems to be responding. I, I think you have to wait and see how the t- how the team looks against better competition. Um, but they're taking advantage of it. They definitely seem ready for it. And I like Lamar Jackson. I mean, even beyond the stats, there's just sort of this something extra about his leadership that I think is showing up. Uh, and it's still, it's still hard to be a rookie in this league. And, and the way he's handling it, even when he makes mistakes, I think is pretty impressive. As, as I watch him the last three weeks, I keep going back to he looks exactly almost without – I think RG3 was a better thrower uh, earlier on in his career. But the running style, he looks so much similar. How can he sustain that knowing what happens to all running quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question, and, and that's always going to be a concern. I think what's a little bit different is that he is a bigger uh, player. He's he's a bigger, a stronger athlete. When you're when you're when you're next to the RG three, is not not as imposing. I, I don't think people sort of understand unless you met him uh, that Lamar Jackson is is, is closer to the Cam Newton, um, and, and so hopefully a little bit more durable. But yeah, I mean that's the thing is that you have to have a capable backup. Um, in Baltimore uh, be, because he's going to be taking off and it's not going to be like Louisville where he can outrun everybody. He's going to get hit. He's going to get hit hard by bigger players um, and that's going to be a risk. But um, I, I do think that he'd be hopefully more durable than someone like RG 3 Eric Adelson, Yahoo Sports, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Eric, you reference Cam Newton. Carolina, about a month ago, I thought was one of the most complete teams in all of football, yet they lost again to Tampa Bay. Cam with four picks in the game. What's happened to the Panthers? They've dropped four consecutive games. I agree with you, Brian. I mean, I think if we talked a month ago, I would have said that, that probably the, 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 the team, the dark horse team that had the puncher's chance at the NFC Championship was, was Carolina because they knew, they knew the Saints, and then they could, I think that they could play with them. Um, and now they just like like also Rams, and it's hard to figure. Um, I just think that he has to wake up. I think that he's getting pretty decent protection. McCaffrey is a revelation. He's really one of the stories of the season on offense. Um, I would like to see Cam have better targets. Losing Olsen today was a big deal, but that doesn't really explain it. Um, in general, I think that they have to get better talent on flanks for him, but that's not going to be addressed this season, and he's, and he's done it without that guy in the, in the past. So, um, I, I think that, to his credit, he took ownership, he took responsibility after the game today, but he's got to go out and be better. Yeah. So we go from that Panthers team that we all thought at the beginning of the season that was great, to let's talk about the Chargers, who are under the radar, uh, have so much talent on this roster, going to play the Steelers uh, tonight. Give us, uh, give us your take on how you think the game's going to play out. Well, I really like the Chargers. I like them from the beginning of the season. I think as you get closer to the end of the year and the cold weather games, I realize the Chargers are not uh, are not based in cold weather, but you have to be able to go on the road with defense. Um, and and that's something that the Chargers can do. You're, you're seeing with the, the, the Chiefs uh, and to some extent the Rams, they get into shootouts. That's not as applicable if you're in the playoffs in, in the NFL. So you have to be able to run the ball. You have to be able to control the ball. You have to be able to defend. Those are things that the Chargers can do. Um, and I expect them to go on the road and, and win tonight. Eric, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again tonight on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you, guys. 
Fantasy football is heating up, so let's celebrate individual achievement with the Fantasy Fix. Let's huddle up for the NFL First and Goal Fantasy Fix. And for that, we're pleased to be joined by our good friend Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Mike, take us through the early games. What were your biggest fantasy takeaways on this NFL Sunday? Come on, your number one leading scorer at the quarterback position was Josh Allen. I mean, that, that tells you where we're at in this final week of the fantasy regular season. Uh, so it, it's a strange bedfellows, I think would be the way to say it, because you got a lot of unlikely heroes emerging, uh, and you had to have a lot of faith. And in some cases, uh, that faith was not rewarded by your tried and true. Your Aaron Rodgers and others uh, didn't quite give you the big performances you hoped. So that implies there were many disappointments across the league. If you had to select a few, who are the biggest fantasy duds? Well, I think uh, Andrew Luck with his shutout, obviously a 244 and a pick. That's that's still 13th uh, for fantasy quarterbacks. That's still five slots better than what Drew Brees gave you uh, on Thursday night, if you can believe that. Uh, top 12 performance out of Chase Daniel uh, and so on. So you've got those. Uh, from the running back position, uh, Marlon Mack, uh, we didn't expect great things, but 33 total yards doesn't get it done. Uh, certainly that, that hurt quite a few people. And in the early games, and including the Thursday night, you only had 13 wide receivers in double digits. They're already being surpassed by, well, everybody that's playing for the Seahawks. It's like Oprah. You get a touchdown. <laughs> and you get a touchdown. And Moving forward, should yeah. I start Odell Beckham Jr. over Eli Manning because now Odell Beckham Jr. has two touchdown passes of better than 40 yards this year? Yeah, I like that as long as he doesn't have to be on the hands team because he wants no part of that. But uh, certainly, look, he cried for the ball last week, got involved a little bit more, and here a little trickeration. Uh, The Bears and Giants exchanging a little bit of that. Tariq Cohen becomes a hero uh, in that regard as well. Uh, But for Odell Beckham Jr., owners, uh, they got what they needed because coming into the afternoon games, he was the third highest scoring wide receiver behind the luminaries Zay Jones uh, and Mr. Godwin of Tampa Bay. It's the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Let's turn our attention to what's coming up on Sunday Night Football. Chargers and Steelers. We know Melvin Gordon won't play for the Bolts with a knee injury, so what's the outlook for Austin Eckler in primetime? Well, we take Austin Eckler and his 5.8 yard per carry average, and, and we slot him as a mid-number two back. He'll be spelled uh, most likely uh, quite often by Justin Jackson. You know, i got to get my Northwestern guy in whenever I can, uh, Bryant. So, uh, you got those two. Uh, we'll have to lead, but it's going to be a lot on Phillip Rivers. We're not going to be able to rely on the run uh, necessarily as often. Pittsburgh a bit stingier, so Rivers coming in as a high-end number two quarterback. Roethlisberger's been fantastic. Uh, multi-touchdowns what, five of his last seven uh, with four 300-yard games. So we've got him as a top-six play, and the wide receivers, you know, he chewed them out, and now it's time for them to go uh, make their money. So uh, you look for some scoring in this one. Talking fantasy football with the playoffs coming up. Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com, our fantasy analyst, looking at the Monday Night Football. In reality, very important game between Washington and Philadelphia. Mike, how surprised are you that Golden Tate has not done more since he was traded from Detroit to Philadelphia? 
seemed like you would only trade for him if you knew where the obvious fit was, at least from where I sit. Uh, 20 targets to this point. He's got a total of 95 receiving yards since showing up. Uh, so he, Alshon Jeffrey, both very difficult plays uh, for your fantasy squad on Monday night. Uh, you're, you're also looking at, now you add Adams to the injury list. I advised, you know, this was a sell, sell, sell. No, don't wait around till Monday night on the wing in, in prayer that he's ready to go. Uh, if you went, if you did, then you're looking at maybe you've got to go burn a roster spot and pick up Darren Sproles just in case you do get the downgrade. Likewise, for Washington, there's not a lot to trust offensively. Uh, Josh Reed is banged, or uh, Jordan Reed. I'm going back to the old Buffalo Bills receiver. Uh, Jordan Reed banged up uh, once again on the injury report, so make sure you've got Vernon Davis at the, the ready. Adrian Peterson's been awful the last month since that huge game. He's fewer than 70 total yards, four straight weeks. So for fantasy purposes, you're looking at Wentz as a top-end number two quarterback. Can't put a lot of stock in what you've done offensively. So for fantasy purposes, this is one where I think a lot of people will be sitting on the sidelines. And one thought about Colt McCoy, small sample size, but didn't have monster numbers. When Washington lost to Dallas on Thanksgiving, what's the fantasy prognosis heading into Monday Night Football? Yeah, we're looking at him no better than uh, your desperation DFS uh, low-value play uh, or a second quarterback in larger leagues. Uh, there, there's just not a lot there, and, and trying to trust one of those wide receivers to step up for him, certainly a tall task as well. Mike, always a pleasure. We appreciate the information. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You referenced Northwestern. I was surprised to learn they were actually playing in the Big Ten Championship game because as I was watching that game in Indy, Gus Johnson mentioned Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I know you were really tuned your attention to big game, uh, which was so important. That it, uh, well, anyway, uh, we'll leave that where it is. But yes, uh, Gus referenced Wisconsin. I think everybody collectively groaned, uh, much like uh, Ohio State fans today, after that predictive model that said 76% likelihood of going to a playoff uh, came up uh, fruitless for them as well. And that's why we don't defer only to numbers. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate you taking the time as always still got to play the games be good buddy now let's close out the podcast with the intersection of football and physics it's time for the playing with science Checkdown, where science and sports collide and for that let's bring in gary o'reilly and dr eric goff gentlemen trickeration work for the giants in their overtime win over the bear guys take us through the play you just gave me my word of the day. Trickeration. Delightful. So, Professor, seems Odell Beckham Jr. is repeating the experiment from earlier in the season with another touchdown pass. But what makes this one so scientifically special? Well, Gary, the play began at the Bears' 49-yard line with Eli Manning under center. Wayne Gallman Jr. was the lone running back, while former LSU Tigers, Odell Beckham Jr. and Russell Shepard, were on the left side of the Giants' line. Trickery was in store for the Bears as Manning tossed the ball to Beckham Jr. Gallman Jr. really sold the play as he acted like he was getting the toss while running in the opposite direction Beckham Jr. was running. Those crossed velocity vectors held the defense close to the line of scrimmage. Beckham Jr. had to use his immense athleticism to find space to throw the ball. It took 5.2 seconds from the snap to Beckham Jr.'s pass for the play to develop. Beckham Jr. threw the ball from the Giants' 45-yard line, and he threw it off the wrong foot. With pressure coming at him, Beckham Jr. utilized the powerful core muscles he uses to make circus catches 
and passed the ball with his right foot forward. Despite the off-balance pass, he managed to throw the ball 48 yards in the air, leaving his hand at 50 miles an hour at a lofty angle of 36 degrees. The ball took 2.6 seconds to reach Shepard, who could have moonwalked into the end zone. He was so open. In an overtime thriller, the Giants won. Every point mattered. It's great, Gary, that the Giants can call on Odell Beckham Jr. for such a low probability of success trick play. Certainly was, Professor, and thank you. Um, proving Odell Beckham Jr., well, one touchdown pass is never enough, and no doubt he'll drop another one on us soon enough. But as far as the numbers go, it's number 13 that is proving the one that pays off big. Uh, happy holidays, guys, and back to you in the studio. Gary, as we say goodbye, since you want some big words, triskaidekaphobia. That's the fear of the number 13. Oh, you have surpassed yourself, sir. I have squandered a lot of education <laughs> to yell into this microphone. We'll chat with you next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. All free, only on TuneIn.